Greetings, everyone. It's August 9th, 2020, Sunday night, living in interesting times. This is Modern Gnostic, episode 16, where we're going to continue our discussion about esoteric patriotism, talk about reclaiming some of the symbols of the movement, and asking some critical questions. So sit back, kick your feet up, get something good to drink, and get ready to seek the mysteries. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Modern Gnostic number 16. This is Brian Stanford. I'm coming at you from Asheville, North Carolina, on this Sunday evening in early August. I've noticed every time that I've started this podcast in the last few months, I feel like I need to say something about the crazy times that we're living in and Every time I make a new podcast, it just seems more and more relevant. Um, It's hard to uh, find the time to sit down and record a podcast because I feel like my mind is just exploding and is on fire all the time with all of the things uh, that are going on um, in our country and in the world and how fast things are coming at us. And as you know, if you've been listening to the show, I've been thinking about this idea for a while of esoteric patriotism, and um, it's kind of a pattern in my life that when an idea, uh, well, I guess the best way to say it is ideas get a hold of me, and when an idea gets a hold of me, I, I get pretty obsessed by it and begin to look at everything kind of through that lens. And this project of esoteric patriotism has been one of these things that's been burning in my mind for a couple of years now. And as I'm seeing the political ground and the cultural ground in our nation shift so quickly, um, I feel like it's becoming more and more relevant all the time. Uh, I've been wanting to record a podcast for a little while about uh, the symbols of esoteric patriotism, and I want to talk about that uh, a little bit this evening. One of the things that I've noticed um, probably over the past three or four years is that I see groups on the far right end of the political spectrum beginning to um, co-opt what I would consider to be the symbols of American patriotism. Um, As soon as I begin to talk about this, I realize that this concept of patriotism itself has become a controversial idea. Um, I was, in preparation for this podcast, I was watching some uh, YouTube lectures uh, on patriotism and nationalism. I've been thinking a lot over the past two weeks about nationalism. I've been researching nationalism and and, um, and fascism uh, very deeply over the past few months to try to get a grip on what these ideologies are and what they mean. And when we think about nationalism, we immediately think about patriotism. And I think that in a lot of um, people from my kind of uh, cohort, you know, kind of my age, my social upbringing, uh, my background, 
we've grown to kind of turn our noses up at the concept of patriotism. Uh, I've been thinking a lot lately that uh, our understanding of history has been thoroughly Howard Zinned. Um, I can remember, probably like a lot of you guys and gals, uh, probably back when I was around in my early 20s, I got a copy of Howard Zinn's uh, People's History of the United States. And I can remember thinking what an incredible uh, breakthrough book that was. And in a lot of ways, it is. Howard Zinn did something with that book that, uh, as far as I know, hadn't really been done and hadn't been done uh, as successfully as Howard Zinn did uh, in giving voices to voices that had not been heard a lot in um, conventional American history. And I think that that's important and I think that it's good. And at the same time, I think that the Howard Zinning of American history um, has gone completely in the wrong direction to where now the broad focus in people's minds seems to be all of the ways in which our nation and the ideals of our nation have fallen short of the promises that they made. Um, we focus, we love, we seem to love to focus on the foibles and failings and corruptions of the heroes of the past. It seems that it's a, it's a pastime of people these days to gleefully tear down heroic uh, people. And I see this a lot um, in discussions of American culture and American history. So what does this have to do with patriotism? Well, how can you have a, a patriotic feeling if your focus is that you live in a nation that was founded by slave owners solely for the exploitation and enrichment of a small group of privileged white men. What is there to be patriotically inspired about by a country that fights the Vietnam War, that has the CIA involvements in South America and the involvements in toppling democratic regimes in Iran, um, in smuggling drugs in and out of Nicaragua, in supporting dictatorships in the Middle East. Um, what is there to uh, feel patriotic about in any of this? And these are obvious, uh, obvious shortfalls and, and crimes and um, and in some cases, evils in which our country has engaged in and, and been engaged in and in some ways continues to be engaged in. But my focus uh, the last few years is what I'm calling esoteric patriotism. And this is having and experiencing a sense of patriotism for the ideals and the spiritual principles upon which our country was founded. And we've talked about these in some of the previous episodes, and I'm just going to touch on a couple of them here, and then I'm going to try to get myself back to talking about symbolism. Uh, but this is important stuff to cover. So what are some of these 
spiritual ideals that are at the heart of the American project that are worth understanding and that are worth taking up and that are worth having a sense of um, pride and uh, a desire to live up to. What are these ideals? Well, I think you don't really have to look much farther than the Declaration of Independence to see um, perhaps what I consider to be one of the fundamental ones is, you know, the line that we, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed with certain inalienable rights, endowed by these rights by the creator. This is a really special idea. This is something that is not just um, obvious. We take it for granted these days, uh, but it's, it's a pretty profound um, revelation, I think, is, is not too special too large of a word to use, a recognition of a spiritual principle that all people are created in essence equally and that we are endowed, we are born with certain rights that cannot be transgressed. The Declaration of Independence goes on to describe these rights as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These are also profound ideas. Look throughout history until the founding of America and look at modern founded countries today and find places where the idea of human Happiness, human flourishing, is recognized as a right, as an indwelling right, a right that you and I are born with, a right that is given to us by God. Or the idea that we are, in essence, born free. We have the indwelling right of liberty. These are profound ideas. And now modern listeners to this podcast will immediately think, well, what about the slaves? And what about women? Is that what the founders were talking about when they were talking about? I mean, listen to the words, all men. They're just talking about men. They were only talking about white men. They were only talking about property-owning white men. Perhaps. Undoubtedly, that's what some of them were talking about. It's my understanding, based on my reading of history and continuing to read and study history, that some of these men recognize the ways in which their own ability to live up to these ideas were constrained. They knew that they weren't perfect people. They knew they weren't fully manifesting these things. But they also knew it was important to enshrine them in this document for a time that would come when people would be able to live more fully up to these principles. And even if all of these men were just horrible, limited, 
selfish slave owners, which they were not, but let's just say even if they were, even if they were, the principles that came through them into these documents are true with a capital T. They are special. They are unique. They did not exist anywhere else in the world at that time. And everywhere in the world that they exist, have existed since then, it is because of the influence of these ideas. Now, here at Modern Gnostic, us being Gnostics, we're not constrained to just conventional history, to the limitation of the world of facts. We also walk with one foot and sometimes two feet in the world of myth of things truer than facts. And in walking that world, <clears throat> it's my belief that these principles transcend men like Thomas Jefferson. They transcend men like Thomas Paine. These men were transmitting ideas that come from beyond the world of men. These ideas are expressions of divine truth. Some of these documents and some of the lines in these documents are revelations. They are expounding deep spiritual principles. We're not going to get fully off into it in the podcast today, but there is a deep spiritual truth being expressed in this idea that all men are created equal and endowed with the creator, endowed from the creator with these rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So these are the ways in which those of us engaged in the project of esoteric patriotism think about patriotism. This is to what I pledge my, my, my patriotism and my loyalty. Not to any current government of the United States. Not to any past or current or future leader of the United States. Not to any past or current or future configuration of congressmen and women or senators or anything like that or judges or any of that. All of that will come and go. All of that will change. But as long as we are on fire with these essential principles, that is where our patriotism lies. So when I started thinking about these things a few years ago uh, and, and looking at the history of the American Revolution and, and forward from there, um, I really started to find myself attracted to uh, some of these symbols, some of the symbols of the American Revolution. Um, if you go to my Facebook page, the, the background picture is of the so-called Betsy Ross flag. One of the other very potent and powerful symbols is the Gadsden flag. 
If you've never heard that name, if you look it up, you'll immediately know what it is. And when I describe it to you, you'll immediately know what it is. And this is the uh, yellow background flag with the coiled rattlesnake uh, with the phrase, don't tread on me underneath it. Um, I can remember seeing that image in high school history class vaguely. Um, but it really never came onto my radar until I started seeing um, members of the Tea Party movement using it. Um, and since, I'm not even sure if the Tea Party movement's still around, but I've seen images more recently of people on the alt-right using it. And to such a degree that I recognized uh, about a month ago, I was thinking I would like to get um, a t-shirt of this flag. And then I immediately thought like, wow, I, would be, I might be scared to wear that t-shirt out right now. I might be scared to have a, a vanity license plate um, that displayed the Gadsden flag. Uh, my, I, I, I feel a genuine worry that my car could be vandalized, that I could be mistaken for um, a neo-Nazi or an alt-right person. And with good reason. I mean, if we, you go back and look at the images of Charlottesville, you'll see like legit neo-Nazis um, carrying the Gadsden flag. We see the alt-right using the images of patriotism to push forward their views of white nationalism. And quite frankly, I find this um, disgusting. Despite what these people think, these images never represented white nationalism. Despite the fact that people like Thomas Jefferson owned slaves, they did not construe of America as a white nationalist country. The ideals that America is built on, the spiritual ideals that America is built on, are poison to the ideas of ethno-nationalism. And this is a really important point to think about. Um, one of the things that I feel like we have seen um, arising over the last few years is um, what people call identity politics. And you're, you're really seeing it um, blossom a, a lot now. Uh, the other day, um, Joe Biden made a gaffe about uh, saying I, I can't quote him directly, but saying something to the effect of, you know, the, the Latino community is very diverse in the way they vote and the way they think. They're not a monolith like the black community. And I don't think Joe Biden's a, a racist and I don't think Joe Biden has bad feelings in his heart or in his mind about black people. But I think that Joe Biden has expressed here and in other places when Another famous one was about two months ago when he said, if you didn't vote for him, then you weren't black. There's been another example. There was a congresswoman a few months back who said she's tired of seeing black faces that don't have black voices. 
This is an expression of ethno-nationalism. And we see this more and more on the left in regards to black people and brown people. The idea that the color of someone's skin or the, the race that they were born into determines how they think about and view the world and that it determines what their values um, and their philosophies are going to be. This is a, a common, in, in fact, it's a, uh, it's, a, it's a cornerstone view in far left and far right ideologies that we are defined by our nationalities, by our tribe, by our ethnic group, that this is the bottom line, most fundamental thing. And this is probably the default human condition throughout time. It's natural to us. Our brains are hardwired in a certain way to have a in-group bias. It's natural. It's tribalism. You see it everywhere. It is the almost the entirety of human history with very few exceptions. And the ideals of the American Revolution are one of those exceptions. And the ideals of esoteric patriotism are one of those exceptions. And I would say the ideals of modern Gnosticism, as I think and talk about it, are one of the exceptions. We've talked about it many times on this podcast. You are not your body. You are not black or white or Latino or Latina or Latinx or whatever, whatever people are calling things these days. You are not a class. You're not a proletariat. You're not the bourgeoisie. Both of these far right and far left ideologies get it so fundamentally wrong. What you are, what we are, is spirit soul. And we are all born equal. We are all sparks of the divine. We are all sons and daughters of God. I inhabit a white body. My genetic ancestors are European. I did a 23andMe uh, DNA test uh, many, many years ago, and mine is almost completely European. I had, I would have to look at it again, but it, it was... It was, it was stunning how European my, my genetic heritage is. I think I have more Neanderthal in me than I have uh, anything that's not just straight European. I'm born in this body, and that definitely influences some things about me. In the world of esotericism, we recognize things like uh, racial mythic consciousness, there's certain myths and stories that manifest in unique ways with different racial groups of people. But those stories manifest in, in, in almost all the cultures. They take on local flavor. And that local flavor is, is a unique and beautiful thing. And it's worth exploring and it's worth 
It's worth investigating and engaging with. It's important. It's one of the things that brought me back to Christianity um, is wanting to engage in the religious traditions of my ancestors. But this is not the essential thing that I am. The essential thing that I am is pointed at in the Declaration of Independence. I'm one of these sons and daughters of God who is created equal with every other son and daughter of God. And the people who flew the Gadsden flag and the people who picked that rattlesnake as an image of the American people recognized this. Even the ones who were constrained by some of the warped racial ideologies of their time, despite that something pure and true shone through. And I realized a few months ago, I cannot sit back and watch the alt-right and the white nationalists steal these symbols. And the Gadsden flag, I think, is one of the main ones that I see that they have stolen. So let's just talk about the Gadsden flag for a minute. And I'm going to read some stuff to you here. And I'm just reading from Wikipedia. I know it's not the best source in the world. Um, but I've really been enjoying using Wikipedia as a, as a research tool for, for, um, for things lately. Uh, it's really nice how it's hyperlinked and can be a good jumping off point for um, digging into further sources, but I feel like the article on the Gadsden flag is pretty good, uh, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's pretty long, but I do want to read some things and give you an idea of the history of this flag, because I didn't know anything about it, um, and it's one of the one of the things that the, that the left likes to make all kinds of mocking uh, memes about these, these days, um, you know, the don't step on snake kind of jokey memes. But what is the Gadsden flag? So here I'm quoting from Wikipedia. The Gadsden flag is a historical American flag with a yellow field depicting a timber rattlesnake coiled and ready to strike. Beneath the rattlesnake resting on grass are the words, don't tread on me. The flag is named after American general and politician Christopher Gadsden, who lived from 1724 to 1805, who designed it in 1775 during the American Revolution. It was used by the Continental Marines as an early motto flag, along with the Moultrie flag. Serpentine symbolism. The timber rattlesnake can be found in the area of the original 13 colonies. Its use as a symbol of the American colonies can be traced back to the publications of Benjamin Franklin. In 1751, he made the first references to the rattlesnake in a satirical commentary published in his Pennsylvania Gazette. It had been the policy of Parliament to send convicted criminals to the Americas, primarily Georgia, so Franklin suggested that they thank them by sending rattlesnakes to Britain. In 1754, during the French and Indian War, Franklin published his famous woodcut of a snake cut into eight sections. It represented the colonies, with New England joined together as the head and South Carolina as the tail, following their order along the coast. Under the snake was the message, join or die. 
This was the first political cartoon published in an American newspaper. As the American colonies came to identify more with their own communities and the concept of independence, rather than as part of a larger polity that was either unwilling or unable to defend their interests, icons that were unique to the Americas became increasingly popular. The rattlesnake, like the bald eagle and American Indian, came to symbolize American ideals and society. As the American Revolution grew, the snake began to see more use as a symbol of the colonies. In 1774, Paul Revere added Franklin's iconic cartoon to the nameplate of Isaiah Thompson's paper, Thomas's paper, The Massachusetts Spy, depicted there as fighting a British griffin. So in that depiction, you see uh, the two symbols, the two mythic symbols of the countries engaged in battle. It's, 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 <laughs> I, I promise you, the men who were drawing these things, these guys were masons. They were steeped in esotericism. They were consciously using symbols. Both the British griffin and the timber rattler are conscien conscious use of, of esoteric symbolism. In December 1775, Benjamin Franklin published an essay in the Pennsylvania Journal under the pseudonym American Guesser, in which he suggested that the rattlesnake was a good symbol for the American spirit. The rattlesnake symbol was first officially adopted by the Continental Congress in 1778 when it approved the design for the official seal of the War Office. At that time, and for many years thereafter, the War Office was a term associated with the headquarters of the Army. At the top center of the seal is a rattlesnake holding a banner which says, This we'll defend. According to the U.S. Army's Institute of Heraldry, this will defend on a scroll held by the rattlesnake is a symbol depicted on some American colonial flags and signifies the Army's constant readiness to defend and preserve the United States. This design of the War Office seal was carried forward with some minor modifications into the subsequent designs for the War Department seal and the Department of the Army's seal, emblem, and flag. As such, the rattlesnake symbol has been in continuous official use by the U.S. Army for over 236 years. And uh, the last little piece I want to read for you is the piece that they mentioned that Benjamin Franklin um, wrote under the pseudonym American Guesser, in which he suggests the rattlesnake is a good symbol for the American spirit. So this is from Benjamin Franklin. I recollected that her eye excelled in brightness that of any other animal and that she has no eyelids she may therefore be esteemed an emblem of vigilance she never begins an attack nor when once engaged ever surrenders she is therefore an emblem of magnanimity and true courage as if anxious to prevent all pretensions of quarreling with her the weapons with which nature has furnished her she conceals in the roof of her mouth so that to those who are unacquainted with her, she appears to be a most defenseless animal. And even when those weapons are shown and extended for her defense, they appear weak and contemptible. But their wounds, however small, are decisive and fatal. Conscious of this, she never wounds till she has generously given notice, even to her enemy, and cautioned him against the danger of stepping on her. Was I wrong, sir, in thinking this a strong picture of the temper and conduct of America? Benjamin Franklin. 
again, the modern listener to the podcast will hear that and say, well, America doesn't act like that. America has started wars. America has, has fought wours of imperialism and et cetera, et cetera. All true, all true. But what better ideal to attempt to live up to? I think it's beautiful. So what's the point of all of this? <laughs> Why am I taking time on a Sunday night um, to sit down in front of my computer and record this? Why am I spending such an inordinate amount of time reading and thinking about this and trying to understand things like socialism and communism and fascism and what is capitalism and what was the Enlightenment and reading about the American Revolution? What, what's the point? This is supposed to be a podcast about Gnostic spirituality. Well, friends, I think that we are standing at the precipice. And I'm not being hyperbolic when I say this. I've been interested in politics most of my conscious life. I grew up in a household where... Politics were discussed and debated on a regular basis. My father was a history and sociology teacher. My mother was a school teacher. My, my parents and my sister are very intelligent, opinionated people. And we always talked about politics. And I, I grew up very soon introduced to punk rock music and alternative politics and um, got involved in my first protests on the street during the first Gulf War and from there went to being active in protest movements against police brutality and spent time as a communist myself and thinking about revolution and went to prison and came out and started a new life and I'm saying all that to say this is the first time in my life I'm almost 50 years old this is the first time in my life where I'm not totally sure that we are about to experience a peaceful transition of power in November. Quite honestly, I don't see a good outcome no matter what happens. If Donald Trump loses and Joe Biden wins, I think half of our country will view that election as illegitimate. They will not accept the results. I think we'll see the rise after the fracture of the Republican Party as a result. And I think we'll see the rise of what I call a European style or hard style alt-right. If Joe Biden loses and Donald Trump wins, I think half the country will see that as illegitimate. And I think the riots and the revolutionary street violence that we've seen over the last few months in cities like Portland will seem like a prelude to what will come after. I try to keep my pulse, I try to keep, take the pulse on the country's politics in as broad a way as I can. I follow far left people on Twitter, I follow centrists, I follow far right people on Twitter, I follow out and out fascists, I follow out and out communists, I follow libertarians, I follow mainline politicians and journalists. And I feel like we're standing on the precipice. And one of the most dangerous things that I feel like I am seeing is that we have 
lost a true understanding and appreciation of the values and ideals that came out of the Enlightenment and were expressed in the American Revolution. I think we are in danger of losing those things. And I recognize that those things are sparks of spiritual enlightenment. The idea that the individual is a sacred, holy thing. The idea that you are not just the, a member of a community or a group. That individualism is a higher ideal than communalism. I feel like we are losing the thread. And so my, my, my need to do this podcast and my need to talk about these ideas of esoteric patriotism is because I feel that it is, it's vitally necessary that people who do recognize these things start to think about them and start to figure out ways to explain them. And so part of the reason for me hitting record on this tonight is to just get better at talking about it and to get better at explaining it. You know, my podcast doesn't have a big listenership. Maybe 70 people will listen to this. But I have to do something. And if you're listening to it, you have to do something. We all have a voice now. You're probably listening to this on, the cell, on a cell phone. You could share it on a cell phone. You could record something on a cell phone. When you read about the time period of the Enlightenment and, and, and leading into later the American Revolution and how, how precious the printing press was and how hard it was to have access to those things and how, how much work people would do into writing something and printing them off and arranging the type and getting the, all of these things to get their message out. And now all we have to do is hit record. We have to do something. And those of us on the Gnostic side of things, those of us engaged in the Western esoteric tradition, our tradition um, gave birth to these ideals. Our tradition is the storehouse of these ideas. And we need to get a handle on it. And so I, I think I wasn't... I didn't think I was going to talk about this, but I'm going to leave you with a question. And this came up in, a, in an ongoing conversation that I'm having with a dear, dear friend of mine. And we've been talking, trying to, talking back and forth, trying to understand what, what is fascism? What is fascism? We've been talking about this for like two months now, trying to hammer out what, what does fascism mean? What is it? It's a word that gets thrown around a lot. And in, in a lot of the ways it gets applied, it's, it's sloppy in the ways that it's used. But um, I promise you there are people out there um, who understand this ideology and who are 
likely to bring this forward. And so it's important to get a grip and to get an understanding on it. And one of the things that we were talking about was this idea of racism in regards to fascism or the idea of nationalism in regards to fascism. And one of the things that my friend said is like, well, people recognize it now. Like when they see, they're like, oh, fascism, it's racist and racism is wrong. Right. So we don't like fascism because it's racist. And that's not really accurate. Fascism has an element of nationalism, but that's not necessarily what we think of as Americans when we think of racism. And so what is wrong with racism? That's, that's the question. What is wrong with racism? Now, typically what we'll say is, well, it's hateful. It wants to discriminate against people like the way, you know, um, um, White supremacy and, and white racism has generally manifested in America has been things like Jim Crow laws and segregation and slavery and denying people voting rights and the violence of groups like the Ku Klux Klan and skinheads and all of that kind of stuff. And that's one kind of, of racism. That's like a really dumb hammer kind of racism. But there's a racism that's a scalpel. There's a racism that, that's not violent. You could be racist and not want to subject or oppress anyone. And the example I give and that comes to my mind is the Nation of Islam. And I, I've studied the Nation of Islam pretty extensively. I, I, when, I was, uh, when I was a younger man, I went and interviewed some people at the at a Nation of Islam mosque and read a bunch of their books and their papers and really was interested in the in the philosophy and attempting to understand it and I still find it interesting. And the Nation of Islam by by every well we're changing the definition of racism these days but by the definition of racism that I grew up with the Nation of Islam would fit this category. They think that black people are a unique divine spiritual being that that people of um Lighter skin colors are a lesser kind of creation, um, you know, like a watered-down version of the pure, melanated man and woman. But they don't want to enslave anybody. They don't want to consign anyone to ghettos. They don't want to beat anybody up or, you know, lynch anyone or anything like that. But what they want is their own separate areas for black people. Right? And they don't let non-black people into their worship services and into their mosques. And they don't spend money at businesses that aren't owned by black people. And they want to live in communities with only black people. And what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that kind of racism? What's the argument against it? What's the argument against a white nationalism that does not want to oppress anybody. It just wants whites to have a separate existence. It wants blacks to have a separate existence. It wants Latinos to have a separate existence. What's wrong with that? What's the argument against it? In fact, one of the things we see um, happening on college campuses and now in corporate boardrooms, uh, on college campuses, they'll talk about wanting to have spaces for blacks only or for Latinos only. We don't say it with whites because it makes people nervous, but what's the argument against it? If it's okay for black people, it's okay for Latino people, it's okay for Asian people, what's the argument against it for white people? What's the argument against a non-violent, non, 
oppressive racism. And I think it's important for us to be able to answer that question. And there is an answer to that question. I'm not going to give it. I have it. I'm interested in what you would come up with. Because this is a fundamental piece of fascism. If you can't answer this question, you have no inoculation against identity politics and against fascism. What's wrong with racism? So I know that's kind of a jarring way to end the podcast, but it's a jarring subject. And I encourage you to reach out to me on social media. Let me know what you think the answer to this is. And when I come back next time, we're probably going to keep talking about this stuff because I think it's really, really important. And I don't think it's divorced from spirituality. I think it is intricately tied to spirituality. I think the thread of Gnostic spirituality runs through the ideals of the American Revolution and the ideals of the American experiment. I hope everybody has a good week. Starts on Monday. Um, I'd just like to encourage you, I, I, for everybody I know, it's hard, it's hard times right now. It's hard times. Um, engage in a prayer practice. Engage in a meditation practice. Engage in physical exercise and training. The ground is shifting rapidly underneath our feet. You need to be prepared. Prayer, strength training, community, philosophy, these are the ways that we prepare ourselves for these times. And I'll leave you with the blessing that the Holy Spirit may guide you from the darkness into the light, from ignorance into gnosis, and from death into immortality. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you keep listening. I hope you like it, subscribe wherever you're listening. Please share the podcast to all your friends and family, people who might be interested in these things. Post it on your social media. Uh, I feel like it's really important that we get um, these ideas and these conversations out there and going. We're living in critical times and uh, we're living in amazing times when, when people like you and me have the ability to uh, do things like this. And so, you know, create your own podcast, write your own things. Get your ideas out there um, and 
share the ideas of, of other people that you find interesting and engaging and please share this podcast. And, and I really encourage you to reach out to me on social media. You can find me um, on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. I love talking to people and having these conversations. And if you've come up with an answer to my question uh, that I asked in the episode, reach out to me and, and let me know and let's have a discussion about it. I'd love to hear what you think. And it means a lot to me that people listen. I appreciate you listening. I hope you take care of yourself this week. Take care of your family, your community, your friends. Go out there, do good work. Keep your body strong, your health good. Live in prayer and meditation and seek the mysteries. Thank you.